Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Momos and the Appas, a podcast discussing the Avatar universe's folklore episode by episode. We are your hosts, Eric Lefebvre, Dr. Amber Jones, and Jessica Trucero. We're starting our journey through Avatar The Last Airbender with naturally book one, Water. Uh, now we are on chapter three, The Southern Air Temple. In this chapter, Aang and the gang go back to his home at the Southern Air Temple, where Aang begins to realize just how much the world has changed in the past 100 years. Yeah. So this is the first realization for Aang that everything has changed and nothing will ever be the same as it once was. The first irrefutable truth. Yeah. I think that this episode, maybe like the first time you watch it, um is it one of those that like fully sticks out to you but i think it's on the rewatch that you know how absolutely devastating this is and how hard it must have been to literally have to see like the bones of your family and all of your people and proof that they were they horribly murdered yeah the, the setup to the lead into that discussion where uh, Katara and Sokka see the the dead um, Fire Nation. I think it was just a helmet or a yeah. skull. And as Aang's coming, they like sweep the stuff over like, wait, don't show him. He shouldn't know yet. And then obviously he's going to find out. But uh, yeah, it really does take this from a semi-serious to a very serious show. Yeah. <laughs> this is kind of that pivotal episode where... Yeah, his whole family's dead and he has to save the world and the Fire Nation is like obviously going to kill him. Like that's kind of the implication they're trying to. Even if even if previously it was like, yeah, we're going to capture him. It's like, well, now death is like truly involved. And yes. we also get the first hint or conversation about uh, Katara's mom or Katara and Sokka's mom um, where that conversation's about to start. Uh, it's a really content heavy episode. A l- and Momo's introduced. Yeah, the titular character for this podcast <laughs> um, is officially introduced in this episode. Finally, which is, there's a Momo. Yeah, finally, there's a <laughs> yes. Momo. Well, it's so it's so full. There's yeah, there's so many places to start. Mm-hmm. I would like to start with the theme of this entire show. Maybe the entire series and universe is just about how Katara saves the world. Um, yes. In this episode, like we just met Katara. She has been kind of this standard, like precocious, smart, strong young woman, um, and maybe not fully differentiating herself in this, in that genre. Uh, but then in this episode, um, like you said, it starts off where um, she talks about like the most dramatic, hurtful thing that's ever happened to her. And she's sharing it and being vulnerable because she knows what Aang, that Aang has not fully accepted what they're going to see. And she knows exactly what they're going to see. And she's like, I need to help prepare him for that. He shouldn't go in there blind. Um and so I feel like that is where we start seeing just the magic of Katara of like how well she anticipates 
the needs that they have on their journey, how well she's able to give of herself in order to help her team get to where they want. Um, and yeah, I and like also, you know I love me some Katara. Yeah. How much she's like, <laughs> she wants to protect everybody from everything bad, even like the, the yes. knowledge that she knows that is going to hurt. Like they... The whole time uh, they're on their way to the Southern Air Temple and Aang is like, oh, I mean, like, the only way to get up here is through air by uh, through a bison. So it's like fine. Like, everybody's going to be fine. Don't worry. He's like super delusional about this. And Katara is trying yeah. to, like, prepare him for that, like you said. And then um, when they're there and he realizes, you can see that he starts to feel really um nervous and anxious because he doesn't see this place that you know his home was just so bright and full of life and fully of people is just cold and dead now and he's trying to like you know be like oh well maybe they're they're hiding over here they're doing this and so katara like when even when she like gets the irrefutable proof that she's been trying to prepare him for she tries to hide that from him because she knows that He's not ready for that. He's just a kid and he needs to believe that he has something to go back to because not only is this like not the world that he remembers and the in the way that he remembers it, but his whole family and the people that he loved and cared about is all gone, is all dead. So now not only is he having to carry the weight of the Avatar, like being that person, but now the last airbender, right? And so like she tries to hide that from him when she realizes that she can't, she then um she literally walks up to him while he's in the avatar state in this like awful like he's about to like destroy the entire mountain and she's like hey look i'm sorry you lost your family i know what it's like i'm your family i'm here and she like grabs his hand and when she grabs his hand that's when he like fully comes out of it right but that like literal reaching out and saying i understand and this is really hard but you're not alone um yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, just her, her, her full displayed, like, truly organic empathy is is so, so prevalent here. Like, we're seeing that in a way we haven't seen before. Because it's not like even in this moment where she is trying to shield the information from him, it's not from a like maybe he can't. Hit, it's it's from it's from a place of understanding and not a place of coddling, which is like a huge distinction because oftentimes when stuff like that happens, it's like, it feels like, because maybe I know better than this person, but in this story, it never comes across as that. It's always from a place of concern and from empathy. I know what this person is going to go through is going through currently because I've been there. Let's try to mitigate this absolute disaster as it's happening to some degree to where that they're okay at the end and I'm okay at the end. And we as a collective are okay and she does it with such care because especially too in that moment when she says i am your family now like i've lost family too but we are obviously here together we're on this journey we can be that for each other and i'm willing to do that if you are and you're like and i'm sure that she sees like a lot of herself (laughs) and her experience in that too like i'm sure she was like so excited and happy and hopeful before her mother passed right and that was a pivotal moment for her so knowing that he's on the precipice of this and also like we've talked about how good she is just not wanting somebody to feel that deep hurt that she has and also recognizing like that it's different right because her mother died which was awful and horrible and she was murdered but 
his whole his whole tribe his whole everybody is gone and so recognizing that she can't understand the gravity of what he's going through but she can relate to it on some level and giving him what he needs in that moment and i want to tie that into momo for a second because um i feel like momo so he like came in we already talked about that but um it's so interesting because he's the one that provides every each like everyone with what they need at the end, right? Like mm. uh, Sokka needed food, so okay, he needed food. His basic needs were met, but Aang needed to see the fate of what happened to the Airbenders, and Momo is what led him there. And then also yeah. Aang needed that connection to the Air Temple, which he has through Appa. But I feel like Momo is another connection to that. So being able to provide that and without without even being asked to go get food or without even being like just by being like him, like he was able to kind of like fill, fulfill these different needs for them, which I thought was really cool. That's a really interesting I, I, I hadn't noticed that Momo as that sort of story device in this. Me either. That's a really interesting point. I had not like that obviously almost there, but like, like that is why them. he's there. That's what he's yeah. Nourishing them yeah. both like physically with like food and like keeping them alive and also like spiritually, right? With that yeah. I thought that was And cool. there is that <laughs> there's a completely unspoken uh agreement in that too, where like subconsciously they're all kind of witnessing this, especially Aang. And th- I, at the end of the episode it's like, Yeah, you're coming with us, obviously. <laughs> Truly. But <laughs> again but Yeah reinforcing that idea of found family yeah mm-hmm. yeah and it's just it's so beautiful it really is and i like that that this is the episode with w- within the narrative of found family and that being mm-hmm. sort of a, a, a plot discussion where he does acknowledge his lineage and there is a con uh, like a connection of ancestry when he like walks in there he's like oh this is master roku and they're like there's no name placard how do you know this he's like I don't know, <laughs> but I do. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. And even there's there's like a recognition of understanding in this history that doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be spoken to him. He can just walk in there and be like, oh, I am all of these people simultaneously. I am myself. I am collectively, this has been me and will continue to be me. I know what this is. I know why I'm here. Cool. And it's really. And you're like what? It's cool because I didn't realize that that's when they really established like the connection between Roku and Aang because he is such a prominent figure in Aang and in him like learning and accepting his avatarhood, right? And so like I was like, oh, that's cute. Like who's this? Oh, that's Roku. I I just know it, you know. And at that point, he hasn't been able to like connect with the avatar state or you know like any any sort of like spiritual um thing he's just like oh this is that i don't know why i know this but i know this like because his connection with roku is so strong yeah Ooh, um another thing i love about this episode is the artwork tells a important part of the story too so um, fast forward to the point where Aang discovers Gatsu's body and he goes into the avatar state and like and we've kind of seen him avatari before and we've seen like a big beam of light but here they take the time to show you how he goes into the avatar state and literally it reflects all around the world it you get a little view into the different 
avatar temples around the world um there they show this really cool earth kingdom uh avatar yeah. uh shrine or something the like that that's... yeah like there's a portrait and like they also have some sort of big jewel i think that starts shining mm-hmm. and i'm like yeah. every time i see it i'm like i want to know everything about that <laughs> <laughs> i was like i i want to know so much more about that particular temple and the history and the particular uh earth kingdom avatars that they like worship there um and and you see uh the foreboding of the um the fire nation temple mm-hmm. like oh my gosh go tell the fire lord he's yeah. definitely back because like you know zuko was trying to keep that close to the chest like sure Admiral- well we haven't even gotten to that part yet anyway <laughs> but that's like um, that's also like um the irrefutable proof right so where ang is getting irrefutable proof that his, his the air airbenders are all gone like yeah. the world is also getting irrefutable proof that the avatar is, is back yeah yeah and it's a, it's such a, a a tingly moment like you can see all of the kind of new things that are being illuminated around the world just because of this moment mm-hmm. um and it's it's interesting to think in context now that that happened because you know Aang is being confronted with the truth that he cannot ignore. Um, and yeah, I like that connection you made that the world is also being confronted with a truth that can't be ignored or hidden anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like there's so many different parallels on um, like narratively with like what happens and what's being given, like, you know, with uh, Momo nourishing uh, the different members of the group and then like, uh, being confronted with this irrefutable kind of information and uh, also like the grief, right? Like the uh, Katara and Aang felt. It's really, I think it's, personally, I thought it was really cool because it also shows that even when we're all feel like we're all alone, we're all connected in some in some way, even if it's not with everybody, there is a connection that you have with somebody, whether it's here or 500 miles apart. You can affect people and not even know it, who, like, you've never seen before, which Aang absolutely has, which the Fire Nation has absolutely done to him, you know? Um, so it's 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 cool. <laughs> yeah. They do such a good job of layering in all of this meaning. And there's, like, just, there's a central thread that, like, maybe you got the first time that you watched it, and you're like, oh, that's a really cool thread. Um, and then, like, as you rewatch and you see more of the layers being revealed to you, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, yeah. you're just, like, talking about this episode. I feel like when I first watched it, I was just like, oh, yeah, well, that had to happen uh, just to get to, like, the next part. But now just talking about it, I'm like, that's a really significant episode. <laughs> there is so much in there that foreshadows, that really sets up important conflicts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really does feel like the Call to Adventure episode. It is. Yes. It is the point of the show. Like, we get context in the first two just with who the characters are, where they're from, what they're doing. But this is like this is the show mm-hmm. yeah this is what the show is about here's what we're going to be focusing on for yeah. however long we're doing it you know what i mean yeah 
I also really like that um, we got to know more about Aang and his character and his upbringing. And like, uh, so we focus in on his relationship with Monkey Yatsu, who, um, you know, is holding to the idea that like Aang was just told too early. It's not a mistake, you know, Um, and like trying to like encourage him like, hey, we just have to move forward. There's nothing that we could do now. Let's move forward, you know. Mm-hmm. And he always, even in like the gravity of this moment, right? Like he's still like doing something. He's making cakes to throw at other airbenders and stuff as like this old man, right? And he understands how important it is to have fun and still have hope and be a child. And um, and I love that he shares in that with with Aang and makes sure that by by doing that, he like kind of shapes Aang's whole who he is right because he you know yeah yeah definitely um there's so much uh that we have to like fill in with his relationship with gyatsu but like the little snapshots we get are so interesting um and so complex thinking about who this great master who was over a hundred years old we know that for sure um that's seen all of these things and like why did he decide like this is the best way for me to train and raise ang um who ends up being the next avatar um there's yeah Gayatsu is a super interesting character I also love that he doesn't do anything like half-ass like he put so much effort into those cakes like and made sure like the frosting and everything was perfect (laughs) literally just to punk somebody (laughs) yeah Yeah. that was wonderful um we haven't even talked like that was one part of the story and the other part was um really digging into Commander Zhao and Zuko and that kind of relationship um, yeah. where we see we see what like the Fire Nation in general thinks of um, Zuko like definitively right with the way that uh, the commander treats him and like also like how abusive it is where he is like uh, trying to like test Zuko's loyalty while he's like hard like he's interrogating all of his crew to find out what he knows and all of this and talking down to him about like a 12 year old bested you you're nothing you're awful you're gross like yeah and so just like being as emotionally um manipulative and uh and like abusive as somebody can be and then even when like zuko like spares like they do the agni kai and then Zuko spares his life he's like basically just like he calls him a coward and then he tries to kill him like behind his back like so we like I feel like that for me at least like really set up how I um how I envisioned the rest of the Fire Nation because he is such a high-ranking person right even talking down to like Iroh and everything um yeah I hated him like fucking right oh he's he's such a piece of shit yeah he's like trash and it really does like you said, paint paint what we expect from the Fire Nation, but it also simultaneously shows us the goodness that Zuko has within right. him, even though we're not really going to get any of that for a while. Like, we get moments of it throughout the story, and we kind of see that within him, but when faced with 
were confronted with sort of the evil and the 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 abuse of the Fire Nation. Because this this what what is the commander's name? What is his Zhao. name? Zhao. 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 Zhao belittling him and bullying him. He's sort of just like a father surrogate in this way, where it's like, oh, if this is like an underling of his dad, how bad is his dad? And we haven't even gotten to the right. backstory of that Agni Kai and all that stuff. So in this moment, I also like that we're seeing the dynamic between Uncle Iroh and Zuko in full display where you see the, the, the humanity that Zuko has when he's like spares his life. And in that moment where um, Zhao is going to turn around and try to kill him, Uncle Iroh's like, fuck off. Nope. You're a fool. Go away. Uh, and then he tells Zuko, like, yeah, this guy sucks. Like, you spared him, and he can't even admit that you he lost. Like, what a loser. Let's go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just kind of reinstilling that understanding that, like, these people are not your heroes. These people mean nothing. These people are bad. But like, at the same so time, still words. giving them some sort of respect, right? Because, like, yeah. so when Zhao is like, come hang out with me, and Zuko's like, no, fuck off. Talk to the hand. I'm going over here. Yeah. Then uh, Iroh's like, hey, you need to show respect. Let's you know, go. Let's we do still this. have manners. You got tea? Cool. Let's go. Yeah. And even after, like, all of the, the oh, shittiness man. that happened, Iroh's, like, still like, I mean... That was uh, it was a great experience. That tea was incredible. He's not even he doesn't even care about what happened. He's like still trying to focus on what was good about the interaction or what happened here because like they've already dealt with that other thing. So fuck that. But that tea was bomb, you know. And <laughs> it's it it's a recognition too. Just like he's not gonna jump the gun on being like, well, this guy's an asshole. It's like, well, he hasn't really done anything. So yeah, let's accept his invitation. It's then when his actions speak volumes of his characters. When Uncle I was like, you know what? Yeah, you're showing me who you are. I'm believing you. Let's go. We don't need to spend any more time with this person. Yeah. Like, they're showing us exactly who they are. We can leave. Like, we've given them time. We showed them respect. But um, that was not reciprocated, so it's time to go. And you're like, all right, wow. And it's just it's just quintessential Iroh, truly, and it's perfect, and it's such a good introduction to that character. Because previous, like, we're seeing him kind of be, like, aloof and sleepy and, like, Kind of just, okay. Is he just going to be a drunken uncle? Kind of, right? Yeah. This is the first time he like fully steps in as like, I know what's going on. I'm going to help you. Don't listen to them. They're bad. Let's go. And you're like, all right, yes. It, it shows that he's much sharper than he puts off to be. Because when oh, like yeah. Zhao asks him what happens to the boat, what happened to the boat before like Zuko totally failed at lying about it. He like dropped yeah. that whole tray and he created this whole noise and distracted everybody. Um and so it shows like he's way sharper. Um and he kind of puts on that act on purpose because it throws people off guard. And he also, yeah. like, his advice is what allows um, Zuko to win, right? He's like, have your connection, stay grounded, break his connection, and st- st- like, stick with the basics, right? And, like, yeah. you know, so, again, kind of, like, seeding this idea that, no, he's he's not an aloof fool. He knows what he's talking about. And he is always right. Iroh is always right. <laughs> always right. In this show. Um, he was wrong before when he, like, did all of the bad things. But in and, this show, yeah. he is right. I mean, yeah. we always must keep in mind that Iroh is a war criminal. <laughs> Truly. As lovable as, as lovable and as sweet of a man yeah. as he is, we got to keep sure it real. 
I'm sure he's committed some of the most horrendous. Because really, we it's not in this episode, but we get to it. The fact that people allude to how bad he was, like, oh, Iroh was fucked. Yeah. Like, you think yeah. we're fucked? He was the worst. And you're like, how? It's such a, yeah, it's such a cool dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so, like, talk about wonderful parallels in this episode. I totally forgot that the whole thing with Admiral Zhao happened. Um, or I think it, right now he's, like, just General Zhao. I think he's Commander, um, I think. Or Commander Zhao, yeah. yeah. He went from um, Captain to Commander. Yeah. Uh, I totally forgot that was... A, in this episode too and it's just so good especially like visually and how they timed it it actually took me a few times kind of watching and re-watching the Agni Kai to fully <laughs> understand what happened but like I'm the kind of freak to do that um, but like so like I said about this episode being like this perfect example of Katara showing why how she's she's not just like every other plucky girl that like wants what she wants, um, that she's also this incredibly um, unfathomably kind person that we also kind of see Zuko really showing that he's not just some spoiled prince that's always mm-hmm. going to be like the fool or the foil or something like that we showed that like one he is weirdly obsessively serious about his search for the avatar but also oh my gosh like i feel like gnats are dive bombing my face oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> like they keep like going for my eye while i'm talking and i'm like fuck you <laughs> anyway um, so, so he's super serious um, and you, you you see that he's also not just like this little fool you, you can kind of see it in like those first two episodes like oh haha they got away from you again and that's just going to keep happening um, we get our first glimpse, glimpse of why this is so freaking serious to Zuko um like there's that perfect foreshadowing of remember what happened the last time you dueled a master and they have that perfect like they have a half shot of his face and it's just like his scar and it's like oh my gosh he got that scar from somebody like what Mm -hmm. master i don't know and what i think is so so cool is exactly how you can see Iroh's training of Zuko and what he's taught Zuko like I I'm glad that you brought up that like it was Iroh that was like no let's get the tea um with them and it was definitely all about manners because that's probably like a really big deal in their society that like if you have bad manners um that's almost just as bad as anything else he was like no they're not gonna say that we didn't take tea um we're going to go have tea with them 
And even though um, Zuko's temper gets the best of them, as it happens to all of us fiery firebenders sometimes, um, (laughs) he still knows exactly what he's doing, though. Like, yeah, his temper got him into the fight, but it was his discipline that was going to get him through the fight. Um, And so we have that very technical very masterful Agni Kai um it's why Iroh is like so Iroh sees Zhao slipping and Zhao uh as we come to know even more like he's a he's a big flashy guy and maybe isn't as concerned about all the little technical things Iroh a master spots it instantly and he was like oh no I have trained (laughs) my nephew in the technicals i have been drilling this kid for like three years he is so much better than that and so he reminds him he's like look go back to those basics that i made you go over and over and over again um and he does it uh if you haven't ever gone back and like re-watched that like little part that they um do over and do in like slow motion but yeah. it's so fluid and beautiful like it's literally Zuko is in this prone position Zhao has like the kill shot and Zuko literally has to get up really quickly so he, he's not like murdered by Zhao right now but not only does he get up he extinguishes his fire and then he ends up putting Zhao in the prone position and it like they redo it because he does it so quickly and I just I I watch it and I think about like oh my god who are the geniuses that like sat down and perfectly choreographed this fight to have so much like editorial in just that one thing that like oh Zuko is good enough that even when he is back on his back like in a corner he can turn it around for himself and it's the first time we really see him doing that Um, and it's real quick but again it shows that Zuko is not just some spoiled kid who wants this thing because daddy told him that he needs it. It's no, he was given this mission. His real mission is to get home again and get his throne back. And he has the fortitude. He has the discipline and all of those good things to get him there. Like his, uh, (laughs) his focus sometimes like changes and sometimes he has the wrong idea about what he truly needs but he still has that thing inside him that is able to turn something around on a dime like that and maybe nobody else has that maybe even Iroh sees it and be like that's that was some good stuff right there <laughs> yeah and knows like my nephew has something like I'm helping to refine it and bring it out in him, but that is talent that you can't teach. And so, ah, Zuko. Yeah. It's it's a nice juxtaposition too because the story starts. You assume he is just Daddy's boy, who's like 
given everything he is he is nepotism incarnate like that's yeah. the idea that's what or we're just an assumedly seeing imperialist who's imperialist. just like we're trying to fight this war daddy wants yeah. to win the war i'm gonna get him the avatar but then so so because of that there is an assumption of like general weakness like he's been given more than he should have but then the fact that it flips on its head where we do see that he is strong and capable in the same time we're seeing this other subtextual na- or like not subtextual but like this other narrative about yeah your dad doesn't like you he doesn't want you back he sent you on an impossible mission yeah Ugh. you're he like you're not even supposed to come back that was the deal it's like the opposite. It's the mm-hmm. subverting of the expectation yeah. of the villain that gives so much more texture and color yeah. to the backstory of this character who we're supposed to dislike. But the best villains are always the ones where there is that good and bad. There is yes. like, I get why he would do that. I understand what his motives are. Like, fuck, I'm empathizing with the villain. It's it's perfect. Yeah. It's like such good writing and character development. And we also oh, there's another. Scene. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, go ahead. Can I, I was like, I totally forgot my favorite, favorite thing that Zuko does here to show his just moral aptitude. Um, so in the end, we know Zuko now has the kill shot. Zhao can't turn it around like he did. Um, and as you mentioned, like Zhao has been taunting him, has been poking at the most horrible thing that has ever happened to Zuko I can't imagine being literally burned on my face by someone who is supposed to like protect me and not only do like we this is our first time we find out like oh that's horrible scars from his father like we don't know why he has it yet but like he was like no your father burned and disowned you you are nothing and so like throwing at Zuko things that Zuko has probably like cried all night about before millions of times. And so even if he's, even while Zhao is being unbearably cruel to Zuko, um, one, he doesn't show it. And two, when he has the kill shot, he doesn't take it. And that's, so, that's the way that they set him up as being different yeah. from the Fire Nation. So we know they're bad. They murdered everybody. Um, this is everything we've seen of the Fire Nation outside of Zuko is just fucking awful, 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 awful. But we see, like, this is when we realize he is different because he doesn't just murder needlessly or harm people needlessly. He, um, even with Aang, like you, he, like we said before, he spared the the water tribe, right? Where any other firebender would have just like decimated that. And Zhao's presence in this confirms that that's what would happen, right? That just yeah. outpour of violence and that being a way of life. And even if Zuko doesn't realize it, like he... Sure, he wants his dad to love him and everything, but he's still, I I believe, at least with the with the line where he says if his dad thinks that everyone will bow to him willingly, he's a fool, where he, even though he, like, got banned because, uh, you know, mm-hmm. we know that he got banned for standing up for, you know, yeah. for people. Um, and we see that he... Um, Oh my god! I just lost it. I just lost my my thing. Um, oh, I'm sorry. But um, but we see him. Um, we Everyone. we know that there's something good about him, right? Yes. Yeah. So we see his goodness, and we see that he, even though he got banished and he wants to go back and everything, he still knows that he did the right thing, and he knows that his father yes. 
is a fool and he is acknowledging that on a level that mm. he doesn't even realize or he's not ready yeah. to realize that he knows that deep down yeah um it also really struck me when i realized that this is also sending the audience a clue as to what they can expect from the fire lord like they did a really really great thing in this series where you don't even see the fire lord until like the end of the first season and you don't hear him talk until like the end of the second season or no i think you hear him talk. And they do it really gradually mm-hmm. um but this is kind of like the first little clue into how horrible he could be he did to his own little baby boy beautiful little prince child what you know Zuko couldn't even do to his worst enemy like Zuko couldn't even burn his worst enemy who's been incredibly cruel to him but that's exactly what his father did to him Mm -hmm. and again he was a precious little prince baby boy (laughs) (laughs) it's just it is the more time we spend on it like it really just is so illuminating to how it it makes sense why the story is so captivating when we start breaking down these very specific and intentional traits and story beats like of course of course we're empathizing with zuko of course these reasons like this is episode three and we're already getting so much context um, where I feel like that turn, like that, that, that sort of narrative turn in a lot of shows would happen on like the 12th episode of like, yeah, dad doesn't love you. And he's like, what? It's like the big reveal. No, I can't believe they said that to me. Yeah. And that's going to, that's going to be like the big season one rap. Like, Oh fuck. Like he's not the (laughs) bad guy. We thought he was, you know what I mean? No, like that's that's what a lot of shows do. We're starting with daddy. Don't love you. He never wants you to come home. (laughs) Literally. Like this is the bad guy of the show that we're setting up and all of a sudden we're taking away all of his power like everything that is supposed to be bad with him we're being shown like oh fuck he actually doesn't have anything (laughs) he doesn't have anything yeah oh it's such an interesting way to start the story yes um especially since we also know that zuko's personality in these um early episodes are still like very much like he's a crown prince on the throne, even though he's been in exile for three years. <laughs> yeah. So it like takes him a while to also give up this thought of himself as I'm supposed to have everything. People are supposed to give me things. Um, it's, and it's it takes the per- him a weirdly long time yeah. to give he, up that he, part of his identity. <laughs> he continues the pageantry for a while, for sure. Like, just that performance of like wealth and power, that performance of strength at all times, even though we know like he's a soft little outcast. Like he was thrown (laughs) away. He's like, what would be considered the run to the litter? Like he's that thing. And then it makes sense why he's, he's, he's performing this pompousness and performing this bigness around Mm -hmm. him because he's like, I can't let people know that who I really am. I can't let people know how small I actually am in my real life. So I'm going to take this big ship and this big strong voice and this big fire and I'm going to prove to them that I am worth it. Like my dad thinks I'm worthless. I don't care. I am worth it. And I'm going to even show him 
that I am worthy. I'm I'm worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. It's so good. I know. Um, we also uh, just listening to you made me think of uh, like the gender level about how both Zuko and Katara they're fighting against certain gender norms they're supposed to have you know like Katara knows that like she was always made to be a warrior it sucks that her brother got all the warrior classes but she knows that that is within her heart as well um and so she does like you know all of the work that girls are supposed to do and she does it well because she's amazing but also there's a part of her that's always yearned for that warrior part of her to have a real place in her life um and Zuko he's he's trying to be that toxic masculine figure that is so praised in his own culture um even though he knows like it sucks like my my dad is exactly that and he fucking abused me and neglected me and i'm not even able to hate him for it because he's my dad um and so both really struggling with what's expected of them but also clear on who they really are and not afraid to do that even when you know, it takes them away from what people expected of them. Yeah. Ah, oh, that was good. Fuck. It, it really, the depth <coughs> of this character is so intense. Like, it's... I, I feel, I, I have a hard time trying to talk about him without, like, bringing up, like, the moment they cut off their, their hair. Like, yeah. like, these big far-down-the-road moments where you're like, yeah, and that makes sense because of this, and then that's because of this, and remember when, like, this happened later? That makes, you know what I mean? Like, because we're going to get there, obviously. I know. But... And one thing that, like, I'm really looking forward to that part because we're just, it's just going to get more fun as we go, and we can oh, yeah. call back to things. <laughs> like, right now we're calling forward to stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's going to be so much fun when we can really be like, okay, remember what I said about episode three? Well, we are building this house of analysis brick oh. by brick. Ooh. And it's, it's so good. It's fun. This is so it really fun. Is. <laughs> I know. So the, so the episode essentially ends with them leaving the Southern Air Temple. Uh, Momo's now a part of the team. So we've got the whole crew, essentially. Mm-hmm. And we've got an enlightened baddie. Um, yeah, the story's really um, taken shape. Yeah, uh, it's like, in okay. In a big way. So oh, man. what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. We go <laughs> exactly. watch chapter four. Yeah. We go watch chapter yep, four. Yep, yep, Okay, well. Thank you so much for joining us here on episode three of the Momos and the Appas. Music by Eric Lefebvre. Editing also by Eric Lefebvre. Artwork by David Tercero. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your pods. Thanks again for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Nostalgia Network. Visit the for more.